Hey everyone, my name is Michelle and welcome to Romcom Weekly. Today I'm joined by my friend Ming and we're talking about the movie Always Be My Maybe. Hi Ming. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Me too. All right, so let's just dive right in. The movie was released in May of 2019. It's directed by Nanachika Khan. I hope I pronounced her name right. It's written by Ali Wong, Randall Park, and Michael Galamko. It stars Ali Wong, Randall Park, and Keanu Reeves. The IMDb.com summary is, Everyone assumed Sasha and Marcus would wind up together except for Sasha and Marcus. Reconnecting after 15 years, the two start to wonder, maybe? It has a 6.8 on IMDb, and in terms of box office gross, there is none because this is a Netflix original film. Um, however, I did find that this was apparently streamed in 32 million households in the first four weeks of its release. And I'm yeah. not sure if that's a great number or like an average number. Yeah, I got no idea. Plus the way Netflix counts stuff is kind of weird too. Yeah, that's what I've heard too. They don't really release a lot of information. So we'll take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Sure, we'll just say it's popular. Sure. There you go, yeah. All right, so Ming, what would you rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10? So to give a background, I normally don't watch a lot of rom-coms. Uh, so the reason why I chose this one is because this is the only rom-com I've seen more than once. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's more recent. But when I first watched it, I always thought it was just okay. I probably agreed, probably like a 6 or a 7. Mm -hmm. But now after re-watching it a couple of times to prepare, I like it more and more each time I watch it. So I would say I'll give it a solid 8. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'm very close to you. I'm rating it a 7.9. Nice. So above IMDb, both of us. IMDb's score is actually quite low, uh, 6.8. Yeah. So tell me, why why have you seen this rom-com multiple times if you're not a rom-com guy? What is it about this movie that has, I guess, intrigued you to watch it more than once? So I was really excited for it just because I'm a fan of Ali Wong. My wife and I have seen her in person, uh, perform her stand-up. Uh, I've watched her comedy specials multiple times. I do find her hilarious just because... Her content is very uh, relevant. I mean, I'm an Asian person, and I am in that same age group where, like, all my friends are having kids, so all her jokes, like, really hit home. And so I was uh, excited to see her next step. I've also, like, read her book and stuff, so I'm, like, a pretty big fan. Oh, wow. You read her book? Yeah, yeah. Her book is good. Going into it, I think I had way too high expectations. That's why I originally thought it was, like, a six or a seven, but then after rewatching and like letting it simmer a little bit, eh, like I like it more and more each time. Uh, Cause there's small nuances that I missed the first couple of times. So mm. yeah, I mean, for me, that's why I, I want, I was excited to see this movie and why I want to talk about it just cause I'm a fan of Ali Wong and her comedy. Interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm the same as you. I'm a big Ali Wong fan. I came to know her through her Netflix specials. They're called Baby Cobra and Hard Knock Wife. And I actually just recently read her book. And actually, I was supposed to see her live uh, this summer sometime, but obviously yeah. it got canceled. So that's unfortunate. But hopefully I can see her another time when the world goes back to a little bit more, uh, I don't know, sense of normalcy. But I will say, though, that my rewatch yesterday was only the second time I've seen this movie. So starting off with that, I'm a little surprised with myself because I'm a big rewatcher of things that I really like. And I think similar to you, I think I came into this movie the first time really having high expectations. I think the first time I saw this movie, 
those expectations were not met, unfortunately. Mm. So I think that's why I haven't really reached for this film. But I do think it's an enjoyable one. I am giving it a 7.9. And intentionally, I'm not giving it an 8.0. Like I'm giving it like <laughs> just below a B. And I I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it. But let's start. let's start with what you like about the movie. So overall, the biggest thing I like about it is that it shows Asians in like a normal light. Like they're like three-dimensional characters. I know a lot of times like Hollywood, when it comes to Asians, it usually just falls in like the usual tropes, right? Like like Asians are usually either the, you know, super smart nerdy people, we're like kung fu masters, <laughs> or we're like just some nerdy sidekick or something, right? So yeah, I thought it was super cool that like they had Asians of all different types in all different characters. From like Marcus being a blue collar guy who like didn't go to college. To, like, you know, Keanu Reeves being a superstar. To, like, uh, even just, like, the random folks, you know, here and there. Like, the people are, like, normal. I really like the fact that they normalized a lot of things that are, like, pretty common for Asian things. Definitely also, big shout out to the soundtrack. Because yes. the soundtrack was, like, that's, like, basically our childhood right there. So, I mean, kind of what I was saying earlier is that, like, Ali Wong's comedy hits home. Because I'm, like, the right demographic for it. Like, the right age and ethnicity. So I feel like the soundtrack also hit home too, just because it was the same time frame. And then, yeah, a lot of the jokes and stuff that they, they had just hit home just because it was a lot of stuff about being Asian. Just funny things of like, you know, how the parents were like refusing to like pay for tip. That's like their least favorite. <laughs> That's like their like worst nightmare. And it's like hilarious just because my parents are exactly the same way. Right, right. And then also, yeah, just all like the cultural references, you know, like they have a scene like a Korean bathhouse, like no other movies ever going to have that you know, normalized stuff. Like, oh yeah, they're just going out for dim sum. Oh, they're just cooking some kimchi jjigae. Like, no big deal. It's not like a exotic thing like it is in other movies. So overall, that's like the biggest thing from it was that it brought like Asian culture to like a big screen and it was like not like shown as like some fantasy world or it kind of came out not too long after like Crazy Rich Asians. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like how Crazy Rich Asians like made a spectacle of everything. Mm -hmm. It was more like normal, uh, like normal day in life. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Everything you just said. So in terms of the Crazy Rich Asians, like uh, comparison, I guess, I think that Crazy Rich Asians, while it was a huge, huge hit, it's a fantasy. There's only a very like point, I don't know, 0.1% of people that are that wealthy. So it's not meant to kind of depict real average people, in which I think this movie really does a good job and not showing Asian as being other. I think it was just very normal people just eating food and living their lives and going through love turmoil and work hardships and stuff like that. So if it was just a very normalized depiction of Asian Americans, which yes, I will say that that's like the biggest thing of what I like about this movie. I have like a few things that I actually wrote down that kind of give a nod to the Asian American experience. So like off the bat, Sasha and Marcus, as kids, they're eating Pocky. They, you know, take off their shoes before they go into the home, which it's just, we don't even think twice about it as Asian Americans. Yeah. The food, obviously, you know, Sasha ends up becoming this celebrity chef. I like just even seeing them use chopsticks, you know, like that was a <laughs> small thing that I don't really see a lot of people do in mainstream media. The tip thing, yes, I, I, I had a feeling you're going to bring that up. That was very, very accurate. And the bluntness of Marcus's dad, Mr. Kim, just like straight up asking Sasha, how much money do you make now? And, <laughs> you know, just kind of like embarrassing Marcus. And then I also really liked the progressiveness 
or not necessarily progressiveness, but just mostly like the reality of where we are in this life right now. And like, it came out last year. So 2019, there's a lot of diversity takes place in San Francisco. I think it's very intentional in showing a lot of diversity, like best friend Veronica, who's played by comedian Michelle Buteau, who's really, really funny in this movie. She's, I think she's biracial. She's pregnant and she's gay in this movie. And then like Marcus's bandmates are Asian as well. They're Indian and Charlene Yee. I actually don't know what her ethnicity is. I don't know if she's Chinese American or not. And then Mr. Kim also ends up with a Diana Ross impersonator who's black. Yeah, very progressive there. (laughs) Yeah, it was very refreshing and delightful to see how kind of normal it all was. We, We don't see this a lot, which is kind of a trip, to be honest with you. Yeah, exactly. Like, we talked about, like, how, like, Crazy Rich Asians is, like, a fantasy world that, like, affects, you know, one out of multiple billion people. Even though this is also a bit of a fantasy because she's, like, a super rich celebrity chef. You know, the other characters are more, like, the normal folks. Um, We also have just crazy representations of different types of Asians. Like, Jenny is one of my favorite characters. (laughs) uh, Just because she's so out there. And we also have mutual friends that are similar to some of these characters. Mm. Because I do know an Asian person that got dreadlocks. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is just like that girl. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's funny just because I feel like I can relate really well to this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why, why I watched it multiple times because, like, some other movies, you know, especially, like, rom-coms, like, you know, I definitely don't feel any sort of attachment or, like, feel like it's, it's kind of like a representation of my life just because, you know, there are always crazy stuff happens in rom-coms, but, like, it's never anything that, like, would apply to my life. So this is mm-hmm. the only one that has. So, you know, kind of like we thought crazy expectations because it was, like, the only one. But mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. more and more I watch it, the better it gets because then you realize some of the nuances and the small things you might have missed that you're like, oh, wow, I'm just really happy to see that on a big screen. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I have a few other things I liked. I think it was a really self-aware and playful movie just because like the casting of Keanu Reeves was hilarious and (laughs) he gets to play like this crazy caricature of himself because I think it's pretty well known that Keanu Reeves is like the super down-to-earth really nice guy like genuinely nice guy so the fact that he gets to play like this pretentious guy who who doesn't have like lenses in his eyeglasses (laughs) like it just seems silly but I loved that part of it. And ultimately, I think Sasha, the character, I like that she doesn't have to change herself to get the guy. Sasha is pretty true to herself in this movie. She's the one who's successful. She's unapologetic. You know, I think that we need more of that. I don't think that that's seen a lot, especially an Asian American female. Yeah, to add to that, you know, there's always like a rom-com, there's always some sort of like makeover scene Mm -hmm. where, you know, they always do some sort of thing where they come out awesome. She's like fabulous. But like, she's fabulous from the jump. Like, the very, like, first scene, her, like, in our present day, because it starts off with that flashbacks, she's, like, already dressed up for, like, a gay, a gala or gala or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. But then also, to your point earlier, I really love how they kept on making fun of San Francisco and gentrification. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just because... Oh, yeah. I mean, my... You lived in San Francisco. Yeah, I live there. My sister lives there. So, like, all their jokes about, like, oh, they're making, like, artisanal roast beef sandwiches in an old record store. Like, you know, all that stuff is just hilarious. And, like, knowing that, like, you know, they grew up in Sunset, like, which is basically, like, real Chinatown. Mm. Gives it a lot more depth just because, yeah, I mean, I live there and I definitely see, you know, <laughs> everything they did. Yeah, that's a really good point. Random note, through my trivia, I found that Ali Wong, because she was one of the writers on the film, she specifically didn't want a makeover scene, which is such a rom-com trope to begin mm. with. But she said that 
she explicitly wanted to keep her glasses. Like she didn't want to lose her glasses as part of any kind of makeover because as we all know, Ali Wong is also quite synonymous with her with her glasses. Yeah. That was very intentional. So props to Ali Wong for keeping that in. And then I have one last thing is just this really sweet relationship that Marcus has with his dad. Mm-hmm. I thought it was refreshing. I, I use the word refreshing a lot, but it truly was for me because I think that as an Asian American, a, a lot of depictions of family and father son, it's, there's a lot of conflict a lot of time, like just the kid and the parent are not able to connect emotionally. But I think that with Marcus and Mr. Kim, that's not the case at all. Marcus asks his dad if he wants to like smoke weed and dance in front of a mirror together. And yeah, he challenges to a battle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and Mr. Kim is the one who encourages Marcus to like say how he feels to Sasha. So I, I just, I wanted to kind of take a moment to really appreciate that depiction of a really sweet relationship that we don't really see a lot. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that was one of my, that was another thing I really liked about it. Just the characters. I mean, like we can talk about it later, but yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like every character that they had just brought something new to the table and a different element. And so Mr. Kim, like you mentioned earlier, like he ends up with an African-American lady, which is very unlike a lot of society, like Asian males and African-American ladies are like usually the two least desired sexes by the other. So it's just cool to see them together. Yeah. Also, I love the fact that his dad speaks like perfect English, like he's not accented. Right. Yes. So that's like super nice that he just like is totally normal with speaking English. Like what? I live and work here. I'm- yeah. Yeah, he's definitely one of my more favorite characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you liked about the movie? I loved also the name of Randall's band, or of Marcus's band. <laughs> <laughs> the Hello Peril. I mean, it's just hilarious just that it's like a trope on the Yellow Peril, like, propagandist. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very good tongue-in-cheek, like, play on a negative stereotype. Yep. So when they came out, I started laughing immediately when they were like, and up next is Hello Peril. <laughs> <laughs> I, so this is also a fun fact of um, Randall Park is that he actually was part of a rap group growing up as part of my trivia, actually. His his hip hop group was called Ill Again, <laughs> <laughs> which I appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I was impressed. And I was like, dang, Randall Park, like he's not like a young guy per se. Like he's like in his 40s or something. So yeah, he was like very good shape. He can still dance and move. I was like, impressive. I love it. I love it. I Yeah, I think for Randall Park, for me, I know he's been around for a really long time. And obviously, Fresh Off the Boat is how I think a lot of people know him. Right. But to be honest with you, I don't I don't watch that show. I watched maybe a few episodes of it and kind of fell out of it. He's in like the Marvel Universe as like, I think he's a policeman in the Ant-Man story. He's the only person that's in both Marvel and DC. Yes. Yeah, it's really cool to see him as like the leading man, to your point, like he's in his 40s, you know, like he's not the young guy and he's still in shape and he can rap and get the girl at the end. Awesome. We need more of that. Yeah. All right. So let's pivot to what we don't like about the movie. Do you want to start? Sure. Uh, So I gave it an 8 out of 10. So I basically like basically most things. I kind of have a few WTF moments that I didn't really like, but I mean, it kind of fit with the... I guess the, the pacing of the movie. So if I had to be really nitpicky, mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of a trope, a lot of rom-coms, but it's like the transition is always like super like fast. Marcus is like, I never want to leave San Francisco. Like this is my home. Like this is everything. And then like one or two talks with his dad, he's like, okay, I love you. Let's go to New York. It's like, it's always something like that. It's always so fast. 
I mean, I know it's a rom-com thing. There's always something crazy happens and it's always very fast and quick like that. But that was like a complete 180 super short there. I feel like it wasn't like a long enough build up to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that... So I, you know, I, I'm giving this movie a 7.9 and I, it, it kind of hurts me to give it a 7.9, to be honest with you. Um, I want it to be higher. <laughs> yeah. I do think that the pacing is quite fast and I do wish that we saw more of like a character evolution of Marcus. Yeah. I think that's kind of what you're saying is that it was just too fast. He kind of like switched gears really quickly and like kind of turned his life around very quickly, but also like how, how though, right? Like we don't see the how and all of a sudden it's just it's just happening so right. i i agree with you on that point basically it was like boom he like cleans his room boom he like moves out and gets his own apartment boom he's in new york it's like whoa that's very fast and i guess those t-shirt sales really did make him afford an apartment or something but i was like <laughs> dang apartment in san francisco that's not cheap so <laughs> yeah that would be a lot of merch sold yeah i mean obviously he's working for his dad too so i mean but it's still like dang he can afford that by himself that's that's amazing yeah no 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 roommates that's that's a lot of money in San Francisco. <laughs> that's a good point that's a really good point i mean i love the fact that like that the whole tom ford scene when he's like doing his mm. makeover because i mean we kind of talked about how like ali wong didn't have a makeover scene like randall park's one that had a makeover scene you know he mm -hmm. like kind of cleaned up his life and you know started like becoming an adult like moving out you know he, he does the whole I'm going to Tom Ford. I want that one. And it's like, just kidding. I want the cheaper one. That was a great scene. I loved it. He walked in with such confidence. It was great. I remember like when I was in my like early 20s, I was in Vegas and I did something similar. I walked to some like fancy suit store. I was like, can I try that one on? And the guy's like, you clearly are a child. Like you cannot afford this. <laughs> and I was like, I can afford it. How much is it? And they told me the price. I'm like, I will see you later. And I like, walked out of the store. <laughs> I was like, I cannot afford that. And if I tore it, if I like messed it up somehow, like I would be in so much debt. I was like, I'm not going to risk it. Bye. I love that, that that's actually something you did. Yeah. So this like this moment that Randall Park does as Marcus is like a very relatable moment for you. Yeah. And like, <laughs> even when he goes to the store, like I'm like, yo, I bought my first year of like Burlington Co. Factory. Like, right, right. That was a, like my price point. And I was like, cool. I can get like two pairs of pants with this and they can like, <laughs> mismatch. I'm like, this is perfect. How much is it? All right, I can afford that. Sweet. So I related so very much to it. It was like very addictive in my life. Oh, I love it. That's so funny. Yeah. So for me, what I don't like about this movie, I feel very conflicted because I love like what this movie represents and what it does for Asian Americans in media and in Hollywood. But ultimately, like I mentioned earlier, I think I expected this movie to deliver on too many things. I think I had a really, really high expectation. It's not an original rom-com. Like, this is a story that's been told many, many times. And I think I was hoping for a more original story. And I have a take that might not be very popular, but I don't... Oh, I'm scared to say it, actually. Is that... <laughs> I don't want people to get mad at me. Is that I don't think that Ali Wong is that good of an actress. I think because I, I've come to know her as the stand-up comedian and I've watched her specials, you know, a few times... I don't think she's really acting in this movie as Sasha. I feel like she's playing a version of herself. And maybe that's intentional. Like, maybe yeah. that was the point of Ali Wong writing this movie for herself. And, like, I know they produced it. She and um, Randall Park are producers on this film, too. And I'm, I'm being really hard on this movie. And I, I want to say I recognize that. I think I'm hard on this movie because 
I'm Asian American. This is an Asian American cast. We don't get a lot of these. You know what I mean? So I don't think that Ali Wong and Randall Park have a whole lot of chemistry in this movie, which again, I'm really sorry to say out loud. I was watching YouTube videos of them promoting this movie as themselves. And weirdly enough, I think they had way more chemistry just as friends and being themselves versus being romantic partners in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you, even though you said it's not very popular. Like, I think that's why, like, the first time I watched it, I basically expected Ali Wong to be herself. Mm. And then when I was like, oh, just kidding, she's playing a character named Sasha Tran who's very similar to herself, but, you know, obviously a little bit differences here and there. Yeah, at first I was kind of confused when I first watched it, too, just because I was like, wait a second, that's not Ali Wong, that's Sasha (laughs) Tran, got it. But yeah, I mean, they're also longtime friends. Like, they they knew each other in college, I believe. I think um, Randall started something at college and she joined the same group, like, when she was there. Because there was, like, an age gap. So they've been, like, friends for a long time. So, like, Mm -hmm. I can just imagine how awkward it would be to, like, film a love scene with, like, your longtime friend. (laughs) Yeah, kind of (laughs) weird. That'd be weird. So, I mean, I get that it's, like, awkward. Because, I mean, yeah, they are longtime friends. They're both married and, like, you know, they have to, like, act like they love each other now. So, like, oh, this is awkward. (laughs) So I'm sure, like... All the awkward scenes were super easy to film, and all the scenes were just to be like tender and like loving. They were like, "This is weird." <laughs> I yeah, I, I agree with you, and I'm a little relieved that you kind of understand where I'm coming from because I feel really bad that I I have these feelings about this movie because I want to say that they were amazing and I loved it and that it wasn't awkward but I won't I don't want to lie but I was kind of cringing at some moments and I was like oh this must be so awkward for them to film I think maybe I was just too aware of who Ali Wong is as a person and not Sasha Tran a character yeah and also just me just because like I think it's weird because like whenever we see Ali Wong we know her from stand-up so like she usually has like a mic in front of her face and so you're not really paying attention to like her mouth moving you just pay attention to the words she's saying but in the movie like it's like zoomed in on her face and like she talks her like lips move but her mouth doesn't open because like normally you know you see actors actors like you know when they talk like they talk with their whole face their eyes their mouth that opens everything is like expressive and i think ali wong is just you know because she's a stand-up comedian like she just talks like she's doing stand-up which a lot of times is just you know her mouth is just moving and that's it Um, so like kind of throws you off when you're expecting more of a theatric performance Mm. but she's just like delivering her lines yeah that's a really good point and thank you for seeing where I'm coming from (laughs) because I was really (laughs) nervous that you were gonna be like no this is a 10 out of 10 this is great so I don't feel as bad as having this probably unpopular opinion yeah you put it a lot better way that I can phrase it but that's kind of the reason why the first time I watched it it was like a six like or seven I was like kind of like met or slightly above expectations yeah Um, i was like above average but not great but then once i watched again i'm like okay cool like now those like expectations are out the door i'm just like watching again because i want some background noise and i'm like oh this is much more funny the second time like yeah no a hundred percent it's it's like the first time you've seen it you're kind of like okay level set let's let's take a step back this is not going to solve all the problems that I have, you know, with Asian Americans not having leads in romantic comedies, right? But then when you watch it again, you're like, okay, I can relax a little bit more. This is not, I shouldn't be putting all this weight and all this expectations onto a film. It really is supposed to be just like a lighthearted, delightful romantic comedy. But us as, I mean, I'll just speak for myself as an Asian American, you want more of this. But then when you put all of your weight on this, it's just, it's unrealistic. So I recognize that I'm being a little hard on it, but I think this just kind of proves and shows the point that we just need more Asian Americans in rom-coms, 
to add on to what you're saying, I feel like, you know, when they like were doing all the press and publicity for like Crazy Rich Asians, they had the same thing uh, where they're like, oh, this is such a fantasy world, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, this is just one of like millions of stories. Mm-hmm. Hopefully by, you know, showing that this is successful, then other stories can be made that will tell different perspectives. Um, and this is a direct byproduct of that. You know, like we see we see this movie come out. It's obviously very light, heartfelted rom-com. There's, like, other movies that have come out since then, like Tiger Tail mm-hmm. um, and other stuff that's come up on Netflix that are, like, Asian-American stories that are, have very different perspectives and different things. So, like, hopefully this is a snowball effect and more stuff comes out as, like, Asians are proving to be marketable. I feel like we both have the same expectation, like, oh, this is our first, like, Asian-American <laughs> comedy that, like, it's going to be, like, almost all Asian cast and everything, but it's got to be, like, perfect. But then you realize, okay... Like you said, it's it's not going to be perfect. It's just one story of hopefully many to come. Yeah, agree. Totally agree. Um, I have one other thing that I don't like about this movie is, again, this is probably going to be a silly nitpick, but the movie's called Always Be My Maybe. It's inspired by Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby. Yeah. But there's zero tie-in to the song. Like, the only time that this Mariah Carey song is played is at the end. At the very end, yeah. I was expecting a little bit more of a connection, I guess, to Mariah Carey, just because it's literally named after one of Mariah's very, very famous songs. And I feel like I was tricked a little bit in the trailer. Definitely. I feel like part of it, like when I first watched it, because I I had such high expectations, I for sure thought Mariah Carey was going to show up in the movie. (laughs) Uh, And like, they're just going to somehow sing that song and that was going to come through in like the big finale scene or something, you know, something crazy like that. And I was like, eh, they probably don't have the budget for her. But but I mean, yeah, like I expected something more like similar to you to have it tie into the movie instead of just to be more of a trailer thing. Yeah, a little disappointed, but, you know, I'll take it. Yeah, nitpicky, you know. we So nitpicky. I mean, not quite a B in your eyes, so it's got to be some negative there. <laughs> C plus. Yeah. Let's pivot to general themes. Um, did you take away any particular themes? Yeah, I mean, the, the first one being family. That's the biggest thing is... They talk about how, like, you know, even though her, like, parents worked all the time, like, she had a family next door. Like, you know, she's like a latchkey kid, you know, like, she was always home by herself. As much as, like, this resonated with me, my wife, her parents owned a store, so she was always home alone as well. Mm. So it was, like, very much like, damn, it's really hitting home. Like, this is my wife's childhood right here, Mm. (laughs) Uh, where she had, like, raised herself. It just speaks truly to it. So I feel like the, the whole family aspect of it, of, like, you know, knowing that like, hey, even though you're not blood, you're family. I feel like that's really, really prevalent. We kind of talked also about like how Marcus and his dad's relationship was so strong. You know, after his mom passed, like he like was really close to his dad. So, I mean, that's prevalent throughout. So I feel like that was like the, the main thing that took away. The main theme was family. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. So I'm a little embarrassed to say that <laughs> I didn't even write down family for the themes for me. But you're 100% correct in terms of it's it's really saying a lot. I, I actually got emotional watching this movie yesterday. The scene where Sasha is in New York now and her parents surprise her by coming to her New York apartment. Mm-hmm. And Sasha's kind of like, I don't know, she seems irritated, right? That her parents show up unannounced. That her parents were like, we went to your restaurant in San Francisco. We paid in full. We didn't tell them who we were. And like they show her the receipt. And Sasha is very visibly emotionally touched. And I, I don't know, I've been very emotional lately, but I cried at that scene yesterday because I was like, this must have been so hard for her parents to, you know, they're always 
not wanting to tip as much as possible. So the fact that they paid in full is like a huge deal. Asian parents, I think we associate their love language to be acts of service. And yeah. I think this is their way of really trying to show Sasha that they love her. So yeah, it hit me yesterday and I was like, why am I crying? This is such <laughs> a silly scene to be crying at. But yeah, it, it hit me yesterday. Yeah, it's like a universal Asian parent love language is cutting up fruit. Right. So I mean, for them to like, like you mentioned, like pay full price at some super expensive Asian restaurant that they have. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> it is. Yeah. For me, one of the things I took away was don't be afraid to chase the things that you want. I think Marcus is scared to kind of leave his bubble with good reason. You know, he doesn't want to leave his dad, but I think he's using his dad as a crutch to not audition for a Southie yeah. or like move out of the house. And Sasha, I think, is kind of the opposite in the sense that she's not afraid to chase what she wants. She chases her, her dreams and opening all these restaurants and she's successful. And then at the end of it, like, the theme that I took away was in terms of like, don't be afraid to go after the relationship that you want. She's the first person to say, I love you. Marcus doesn't expect it. And then Marcus goes through his evolution and then ultimately decides he can't live without Sasha. So he goes to New York. And so, yeah, that was one of the themes that I took away. Yeah. I mean, he goes his evolution to the point where he's like, I want to hold your purse. <laughs> you know, we kind of touched about like being nitpicky at how fast it was. But I mean, yeah, I mean, like, it does spark a change because, I mean, yeah, like, he doesn't want to be more than just a local band. Even, like, Keanu's like, oh, I haven't heard you on the festivals. He's like, no, we're more of a, you know, we're more of a flock band. Block band, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been doing it since, like, high school, right? So, like, he's been in it for a long time. So, I mean, it's one of those, like, if he wants to pursue his dreams, he could because they're obviously talented. Yeah, and I, I understand that fear. So that's a very real emotion that I, I identify with so yeah. I don't blame Marcus but it comes to a certain point where you gotta you gotta do something yeah yeah and I mean generally Asians are going to play the safe trope right like that's why parents always want their kids to be like doctors lawyers engineers because it's like safe mm -hmm. it's financially viable yeah yeah it's financially viable so as to be like a musician is usually frowned upon so like it's it's cool to see that he, his dad was pushing him for that. So that's very different than real life a lot of times. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's move on to favorite scene or scenes. Definitely favorite scene is Keanu's debut. Yes. The first time I watched it, like you hear his voice at like the Netflix rap party or whatever. Um, and I'm like, that kind of sounds like Keanu Reeves. What the heck? Mm -hmm. And then once he comes in, it's like, dude, that's, that's perfect comedic timing. Because like Jenny's all like, ooh, where's your man? <laughs> and then bam, he comes in she's like, crap like and so that was like a perfect comedy scene i guess i was watching some interview with like ali wong and she was like you know there's a very very limited venn diagram of like who would be marcus's like worst nightmare and also asian the venn diagram only has keanu reeves like the only person so like they basically wrote it with keanu as like their like number one choice and only choice mm -hmm. but they were lucky and like he was able to film it during a break in like John Wick. Like he did it in like, like a day or like a weekend or something. Because mm -hmm. he was filming John Wick during the time, which like, which is why he looks exactly like he does in John Wick. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, like they were super excited that he was able to do so. Because, yeah, I mean, in terms of like international blockbuster Asian American males, like the list is Keanu Reeves. Yeah. A hundred percent. So there's this one line that I love in that in that scene is where Keanu goes to pay, comes back to the table, and Marcus is like, "You didn't even give me a chance to offer to pay." Yeah. And Keanu's like, "It was sixty four hundred dollars." And then you just see Marcus like astonished. Yeah. 
And then Keanu says something like, it's less than a residual check for my hit movie speed. And I just, (laughs) I LOL'd. I was like, this is amazing. I love that Keanu is like breaking that wall and just being this crazy version of himself. Yeah, like you alluded to earlier, like he's like known to be like the nicest, most genuine person in the world. So him being playing like a total douche was hilarious to see. And I mean, yeah, like kind of like I was saying earlier, like there are their tropes of like making fun of San Francisco, making fun of fine dining, mm-hmm. talking about how like white people eat up like a menu on rice paper, like stuff like that. It's like hilarious just because it's so true to our lives. And I mean, yeah, especially when it comes to fine dining, like I've been to a few just to like experience life, but I'm like, I've been, I've been like markets where I've left and I'm like, yo, I just paid this much money and I'm still hungry. <laughs> like what the heck? Because they were like bringing out the courses and I was like, this is, this is exactly how fine dining sometimes sounds like to me. It's like, you know, the essence of Caesar salad or something like that. <laughs> it's like, dude, like you're giving me like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of how I feel like a lot about fine dining stuff. But I mean, whatever. I'm happy I did it in my life. But yeah, now I know where not to spend my money. Exactly. Now you, you've lived a little and now you know how you prefer to live. Yeah. I actually was thinking of you when I was watching this scene because <laughs> I know that you've done some of these fine dining experiences. And I know yeah. that you have a pretty big appetite. And I love that line that Marcus has at the end of that whole dinner scene. It's like, can I get a monochrome burrito to go? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I bet Ming would say something quite similar to that. Like, after spending thousands of dollars on a meal, it's ridiculous that you still leave hungry. Yeah, it's funny because when I was living in San Francisco, like, I just graduated college, so I was, like, poor. And our mutual friend, Young, we went to a tap dinner at, like, some fancy place. And, like, we both looked at the menu and we're like, uh... The average entree is like 50 bucks. And so we're like, like, I think Young and I split an appetizer. <laughs> that was like the only thing we could afford. And so afterwards, we're like, okay, we'll just split an appetizer so we can like eat with everybody. And once it's over, we're going to go for burritos. Yeah. <laughs> so, because it was like, it was close to the mission. So we're like, yeah, we're just going to we'll get a burrito after this because we can't afford this stuff. So I definitely resonated with Marcus there because I was like, exactly like my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't quite $6,400, but still like. 50 yeah. bucks an entree we're like ah uh, yeah well uh me and young would just get an appetizer <laughs> <laughs> it's another point where this movie's like super relatable for you yeah exactly exactly like i i related so much to marcus's character and so many of the things in the movie that's why i was like laughing because stuff like that it was just like oh man i've experienced the exact same thing which is obviously a little bit different yeah 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 so this was on my list too i think this is the funniest bit in the movie for me but i actually have a few other scenes that are not necessarily I don't think that they're big moments. One specifically is actually the dim sum scene. Mm -hmm. After Sasha and Brandon effectively break up, Sasha and Marcus go to the dim sum place and Sasha starts by like unloading her frustrations onto Marcus and Marcus is just like, they're there. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was funny because that's very accurate. I feel like a lot of men that I know, they just have no idea how to cope with a woman's emotions. But yeah, what he says afterwards made me laugh even more because he's like, I had a lot of stuff planned, but that was in the beginning, and then I just forgot it by the end. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely feel the same way a lot of times when, like, you know, even if, like, my wife is explaining about something, I'm like, shit, like, what is she saying? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I gotta take mental notes. Well, it's funny because Frank will sometimes literally just, like, give me, like, a pat on the shoulder or, like, on the head, like, two pats, and I'm like, 
I feel like a, a dog or like something. Like it's <laughs> not exactly how I want to be consoled right now. So I yeah. thought that was funny and weirdly relatable. Yeah. But it's actually what Marcus says. It's the conversation that Marcus and Sasha have is that Sasha's like, why did you bring me here? The food was always really crappy. And Marcus is like, no, you just remember it to be crappy because your childhood memories were crap. I think that was kind of a weird moment for me because weird in a good way, in the sense that it made me stop and think like memories are just crazy powerful. Like we associate things as kids to be terrible, but then when we're adults, you know, that totally skews our perception of reality sometimes too. But I don't think it's as bad as it was maybe when I was a kid. So it's just this whole concept of like experiencing things as an adult as you did as a kid, but things are just very different now. Does that make any sense? No, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, okay. <laughs> example for me would be like, uh, I remember like in college, some of like my favorite restaurants in college, I was like, this is the best food in the world. Mm-hmm. And then like you go out into the real world and like you experience different things or like, I don't know, whatever it is. If you ever go back and visit your college and eat some of the food, you're like, this is just super greasy and like disgusting. Mm. It's kind of like the same thing. It's like in your head, it's like such a built up, like amazing stuff. Then you go back and you're like, actually, that's gross. Yeah. So it's just the exact opposite. You know, she clouded it because she was had a terrible childhood in her mind. But in reality, the food was good. And Marcus goes there twice a week now and gets free too much. <laughs> I love it. I love that. That was really funny. But yeah, it's it's just the powerful associations we have with memory. And I mean, to be like literal in the sense of like this scene, like as adults, like our palates change too. Yeah. Um, I have one more scene that I, I really enjoyed. And it's not an obvious scene. I think it's actually one where a lot of conflict happens. It's the fight towards the end. Uh, Right before this big event, I think the restaurant opening and Marcus doesn't go and decides to also not go to New York. It's a weird scene to have as like a favorite scene. But I think the reason I like it is because it's very realistic in a way. Two people can love each other, but fight really, really mean, I guess, for lack of a better term, like really, truly fight with each other. Yeah. This fight is kind of just going in circles. There's just so many emotions. I don't know. I think I just understood why there was so much conflict. And it was nice to see like a real fight happen. A lot of fights in rom-coms are a little bit more trivial. They're a little bit more like a lot of more miscommunication. But I think Sasha and Marcus know each other very, very well. So this is more of like a character fight. Yeah. It's it's not just like, you didn't wash the dishes or like <laughs> something silly, right? But Marcus is saying that you don't like my lifestyle. And Sasha's saying back like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I just want you to like aim higher and do more. And it's just like this whole conversation of challenging each other. And for some reason, I really liked that scene. Is that weird? No, I mean, like, I think it's cool. Like, I mean, like you said, it's like, it's deeper. Uh, I mean, these these are characters that I feel like it fits really well with the movie just because these are characters that have known each other their entire lives. You know, they're like childhood friends that like grew up together. They saw each other like every day until like high school. And so when you're that close with somebody and if there's something that's like a core principle of yourself that like is being challenged, like you're going to get into some like really deep fight Mm -hmm. about that. Just because like, yeah, I mean, if that's like the essence of his core is his choices that he makes for his lifestyle, like that she's trying to get him to change, like no one's going to want to do that. And it takes a lot of persuasion. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I get it. Like, we're both married. I'm sure we've had fights with our significant others that kind of challenges our core. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I get what you're trying to do, but I'm also very comfortable with where I am. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I will say this, that this fight is very <laughs> relatable because I do think movie that... Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think that it's it's a fight about real things. So it was just nice to see this kind of come to a head. And Sasha ultimately is just like making the executive decision, being like, are you coming or are you not? Yeah. Take it or leave it. That's it. Right. <laughs> like, I've, I've told you everything I want. I'm laying my heart out. Take it or leave yeah. it. Right. And ultimately, Marcus doesn't take it until the very end. So, yeah, that's kind of a not happy favorite scene. It's weird. I, I don't think I've ever had a favorite scene where it's like where the conflict is. But I don't know. I liked it. I guess for me, the to get the exact opposite of that, a very lighthearted and happy scene. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite scenes was when Sasha tells Mr. Kim, like, you haven't aged a day. And he's like, oh, I washed my face with shampoo. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. My wife is Korean, and so they constantly talk about looks. Skincare. I mean, skincare. It's basically more like an Asian thing. And so they're always referring to, like, man, like, how do you keep it up? I'm like, I just splash my face with water. Like, I don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> to use the same word we've been using thousands of times. It's super relatable just because it's, like, <laughs> it's like my life in a movie. No, that was funny. I, I did laugh out loud because, of course, he has an age and it's just using shampoo. Yeah. It's always like, you know, there's the person that uses like thousands of dollars in products to get something. And there's other guy who just like washes his face twice a week. And he's like way better looking skin. Yeah. So unfair. Zero effort. Maximum results. Exactly. All right. Let's talk WTF moments. I mean, uh, one of the things I kind of alluded to at the very beginning was like, after watching it again, I'm like, dude, that's so weird. Like his mom literally dies and they're at the funeral and he's like mourning and they like go for a drive. And then he, like, has a photo of his mom on his, like, dashboard. And then they get it on. It's like, oh, okay, like, I get it. They have to do some sort of scene that, like, you know, where they break the friendship barrier. And, like, you know, it becomes awkward. But, like, the timing of it, just so WTF. Man, like, if my mom just died in an accident, like, am I really going to be, like, jumping bones with, like, my best friend? Like, <laughs> in hindsight, obviously it's a movie, so it's not real life. But, like, it's like, damn, like, that's so weird. Agree with you for sure. Like that was actually one of the moments that was cringeworthy for me because like, you know, you're watching this. You're like, this is a terrible idea. Why are you doing this? This is not (laughs) the right decision to make at all. Yeah, it it did seem a very bizarre emotional state for Marcus to be super sad and then just also like, yeah, have sex with his best friend. I don't know. Maybe that's just how some people grieve. Like they just don't want to think about it and they just do the complete opposite. So... It definitely takes your mind off of it for however long it is. But I mean, it's still funny just because like they make fun of Titanic with like the hands. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about like, where'd you find the condom? He's like, seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved the the moment where after sex and they're laying there and Marcus does not know what to do with his hand while they're cuddling. <laughs> He's just like waving his arm around. Yeah. I was like, He's oh like, my God, uh, this is so awkward. You want to get some food? <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, what do I do? One of the WTF moments I have is Probably nitpicky, Sasha and Marcus, when they reunite as adults, and Sasha realizes it's Mr. Kim and Marcus who are the air conditioning guys. I just feel like Sasha's reaction to seeing Marcus, like, she doesn't smile. She's, like, almost angry that Marcus is at her house. (laughs) Like, she's not happy at all. And I just, I don't feel like that would happen. Because, like, I mean, if you have, like, a friendship breakup with your best friend, like, 
what is it, 15 years before, I still think you would be somewhat happy to see your former best friend. Like, I just didn't like the reaction. It was just like, what are you doing in my house? And then <laughs> it was just like so awkward. And I was like, she shows no heart, in my opinion. I mean, I would counter that with saying that's that's her character, um, is that she doesn't have a lot of heart. She's very like cold hearted. Like she's very mm-hmm. much like, get it done, move on to the next thing. The last time she saw Marcus was they got into a fight and he's like, she basically cut him out of her life. And so with him coming back, she's like, oh, that was over with this. What is this? Mm. So I feel like it kind of fit with her character a little bit. But yeah, I mean, in reality, like even if you got into a fight with like somebody, but then like 15 years passes, like at that point, like you still can't be mad at somebody for something 15 years ago. Like time should heal a wound sort of thing. Like that's, that's like water on the bridge. That's so old. <laughs> yeah. And like, could because they were best friends, you know, like you yeah. would assume that there'd be like at least a little bit of cordial hi hello how are you versus it being like so so awkward yeah or it could be what we're talking about how ali wong's acting just sometimes isn't up to par but yeah there's that too she could be just stiff because i mean randall park kind of plays it like i feel like more cool like he's like yeah. hey, hey what, what's up like you know he's, <laughs> he's much more like you could tell he's like excited but he's super awkward which yeah 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 it was really endearing i feel like that's poor appropriate response totally yes agree what else you got for WTFs? Uh, that they all went to high school together. Obviously, it's movie magic, but like, Randa Park is in his forties, <laughs> Ali Wong's in her thirties. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the other bandmate, I can't pronounce his name, but he's like in his early thirties, <laughs> and so like they look way younger. But like, yeah, I mean, they're like, oh yeah, we all know you from high school. Yeah, I was like, ah, it's obviously very nitpicky. Mm-hmm. Nope, I I also noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. how do they all go to high school together? That's weird. That little WTF moment, which for me, I thought was just a funny joke. Sasha was kind of like, I'm going to do this for the same thing I did for fish sauce ice cream. I was like, oh, that sounds so gross. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't believe trying it. But then there's also some weird ass ice cream flavors that actually do taste really good. So who knows? Maybe fish sauce ice cream is going to be a thing. That uh, I guess it's like want. a savory ice cream, right? Like yeah, it's salty. It's like there's like a balsamic ice cream that's like good. Yeah. But I mean, it just sounds it sounds weird. I hope that if she did do the fish sauce ice cream, I, uh, you just can't call it fish sauce. That's weird. I don't think anyone would buy it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, instead of saying guap bao, you say like Taiwanese hamburger or something. Like, there you go. It's just, or Taiwanese taco. It's just easier for people to like understand. Yeah. So another WTF I have is Jenny, Marcus's girlfriend. Yeah. Um, she knows and she's a big fan of Sasha Tran. Why yeah. would she want to cook for a celebrity chef? Or why would anyone <laughs> want to willingly cook for a celebrity chef? True. My assumption is that maybe Jenny knows, or does Jenny think she's a good cook? Even if you think you're a good cook, I think that there should be some nervousness and wanting to cook for a celebrity chef. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like the opposite thing that I'd want to do. Like, so one of my friends opened a food truck and uh, we were going to like invite them over for dinner. And I was like, mm-hmm. do I want to cook for a guy who owns a food truck? Like, right, that sounds right. like a terrible idea. Like, maybe we should just go out to eat and, like, have dinner instead of come over to our place. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I had the exact same thought, except, like, he's not a celebrity chef, but still, like, he's a, that's his profession. So I felt, like, super awkward about the same exact things. <laughs> um, let me see what else I got. I mean, this is also very nitpicky. Is like, Sasha, yes, she's, like, this amazing restaurateur, but the ease in which she opened restaurants, she makes it look like, oh, I can open five restaurants a year, which maybe you can, but like, it takes a really long time to open a restaurant. Yeah. There's always roadblocks, like the electric doesn't come, like it's just like equipment doesn't come. It's just, 
I was like, oh, this is so unrealistic. It's just not how restaurants work. Yeah, it makes it seem like, oh, I just need an idea and I can be super successful. It's like, I guess Brandon Choi is really doing a lot of stuff. There you go. Brandon Choi, Daniel Day Kim. He's just killing it in terms of financing and other stuff because, I mean, that's usually the hardest hurdle is just the money. Um, You know, like you mentioned, like getting the funds up front to like be able to pay for something because who's going to invest in somebody that has no experience? But I guess Mm -hmm. for her... She's proven to be successful and people are willing to give her money for whatever she wants. Yeah, that's true. Do you have any more? I guess it's more of a pet peeve just because, like you mentioned, I have a big appetite. But like the very first scene, like she makes spam and rice and then she's just like, peace out, I'm going to go get kimchi jjigae. And I'm like, whoa, 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 aren't you going to like put that away or like eat the rest of it? Or what are you going to do with the rest (laughs) of your food? Like, don't tell me you're going to throw it away because that's delicious. I mean, that's just more of a personal pet peeve. so funny. Food waste, pet peeve of yours. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no food wasted ever in my life. Um. So what does she make? She makes rice, spam, and I think she sprinkles furikake on her rice. Yeah. I was like, that's amazing. And an umbrella. <laughs> and an umbrella. Yes. Um. Let's move on to the ending then. What are your thoughts? Are you happy with it? I feel like it was good. I feel like it's a rom com ending where you know obviously everything kind of finishes with like a bow, and I mean it. It worked well. There's also a little bit of WTF where it's like. How does Randall Park just, like, show up and, like, push through all the way to the front? Like, <laughs> where's security at? Come on, guys. Like, mm-hmm, how are you going to let this random guy through without a pass? Yeah. It's obviously fantasy. It's a movie. But, like, I'm happy with it. I like the fact that she brought her parents. Kind of, yeah. like, wrapped that up. She, like, accepted them. Kind of like you mentioned, like, they had that moment, tenseness, and then, boom, now they're good. And then he professes his, his stuff with her, and then, you know, then they're good. And then, yeah, and then they move on, and then she sees, like... The ending restaurant, which is like Judy's, you know, it kind of comes full circle from like the the first scene of the movie uh, where it shows her making kimchi jjigae with like scissors. I felt like it was a nicely well written ending. Mm -hmm. Was it satisfactory as a watcher? I mean, like, yeah, in hindsight, yeah, I think it is. I feel like expectation wise, you want something big and grand, but everything wrapped up the story well. Yeah, I agree with you. But what what do you think you would have preferred in terms of this grand gesture? I mean... I personally really just wanted Mariah Carey to be singing Always oh, My yeah. Baby. Uh, <laughs> but that's a fantasy world that I just thought it'd be hilarious. And I was kind of expecting it because I feel like, yeah. you know, a lot of times when you watch comedies or even when you watch stand-up, you kind of like think of where the joke is going, but then they go, you know, the other the other way and that makes you go, oh, that was really good. So, I mean, I feel like because of the title, I thought for sure Mariah Carey was going to be in it. When they didn't, I kind of like thought, no, that was kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been cool to have her show up at the last minute. Yeah, I think I'm also happy with the ending. I don't know. Uh, it was just very, very predictable, I think. And that's not a bad thing. It's usually it's kind you know, of a rom-com very... trope, though, yeah. Yeah, like, very rom-com trope. But it's also very usually satis- satisfying to have everything mm. tied up so nicely. But I was actually thinking about this, and literally everything is tied up in a nice bow. Like, nothing is left out. So I wrote down yeah. a list here. So you have Sasha opening Judy's way. She yeah. gets to honor... Marcus's mom and accomplish her like career goals, which is like honoring her roots and opening yeah. this like more homey restaurant. This also proves that she's she can continue to build successful restaurants. And she wins the Visionary Award from Food and Wine magazine. <laughs> she gets closure with her parents. Yeah. And then she and Marcus are also happy in love together. Yeah. So it's like a lot of things happening all in Sasha's favor, which I love. And yes, as she should, but nothing was left off the table. Like literally, she's just like the top of anything that she could possibly, the visionary award, opening the restaurant, you know, just everything. 
Yeah, she's got no hardships in life. I mean, even Mark is like, they got the gig at Southeast, and like he has his own apartment, like he's growing too. Everything's great now. Once they made the decision, it's like, boom, then life is perfect. Yeah. And it's always interesting, like, what would the story be a year after this movie ends? Like, that to me is when the interesting stuff kind of could potentially happen in a relationship, but which I guess kind of let's move on to the next question is then, uh, do you think the characters stay together? Hmm, I think so. I mean, they've been like longtime childhood friends, and I feel like they had that big fight where it kind of like defined their core issue at the ending and basically said, hey... I accept your ultimatum. You know, like, are you with me or not? And he's like, I am with you. I mean, I'm hopeful that they stay together, but I mean, who knows? I'm sure there's going to be plenty of long fights afterwards. Yeah, I think that they'll stay together as well. I wrote down that when you name the restaurant after your boyfriend's mom, that kind of sets things in stone. (laughs) And (laughs) a photo of him is like, promptly displayed in the restaurant like yeah i think it'll be a challenging relationship considering that sasha's like job makes her travel a lot yeah i think that when there's a progression of a friendship in any kind of rom-com story i'm more inclined to believe that the characters stay together because we get to see their relationship unfold and just see how they are so yeah i can i can see that them staying together yeah, kind of like what you were saying earlier, like we saw like the, when they had that big fight, it was more like grounded because it was based on like their history. And I feel like their history is what's going to keep them together instead of just like a flash in the pan sort of thing where like, oh, you're like super attractive and I like you, but I don't know anything about your personality. Right. It's like, no, these guys have known each other since they were kids. Like they are like lifelong friends. They know each other's faults and weaknesses and everything good and bad about each other. So, you know, once they kind of overcame that hurdle of like him not wanting to like grow and feel like they're they're good <laughs> yeah no i agree i agree let's talk your favorite character you mentioned mr kim i like mr kim yeah yeah mr kim mr kim was a favorite but i think veronica michelle Buteau, or whatever her name is yeah mm-hmm. she had like some of the best lines like some of the best things um in the movie yeah she's obviously convenient herself so like that was like it feel very natural for her to like deliver the punchline Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel like she was really good. She was one of my favorites, too. Yeah. Veronica is my favorite. So, we're okay, locked cool. up on that one. <laughs> yeah, we are so similar. <laughs> I like her because I find that I, I do like the sidekick characters more. Yeah. Mostly because I think they're more real in, in the sense that they're more easily uh, relatable. She's a really, really good friend. She's supportive. She calls Sasha out on her shit. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Or like, no, don't use your like fake ass phone voice with me. Yeah. yeah, she has the best zingers. Yeah. Like, oh, thanks for calling it a gap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The moments where I laugh the most was usually is because Veronica said something funny. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, I mean, definitely that's why she's one of my favorites. I feel like if I were to categorize this, I'd say like she's probably one of my favorite characters because she's the funniest. And uh, Mr. Kim is one of my favorite characters because he's like the most original character of an Asian American male. Mm. Like you mentioned, he's like emotionally supportive of his son. Like he speaks perfect English. He ends up with a African American lady. Like he dances. <laughs> like he's everything that like the exact opposite of like even like my dad or like most Asian American dads. Yeah. He's like the dream. Yeah. Where you kind of wish your parents were more like that. But I mean, he's such a good character. And plus, the, the actor I plays in, I feel like, did a really good job. His name is James Saito, and he's been around for a really, really long time. I, I agree with you. Yeah, Mr. Kim, his he really depicts an Asian American dad with a lot of heart and very, very emotionally available, which is... As we all know, not a lot of how our real dads are in real life, but what we aspire for them to be is to be emotionally (laughs) available and just like very hip with today's lingo and terms and stuff like that. So props to Mr. Kim. 
I mean, otherwise, both our favorite scenes is Keanu. So mm-hmm. just like his caricature of himself is just enjoyable to watch. It's, yeah. He kissed the place to blown up version of himself that like, you know, he can just make up whatever he wants. So he is so douchey. It's kind of hilarious. So douchey. So douchey. <laughs> so pretentious. Yeah, that was great. Um, I, I think this is a pretty obvious answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Which character do you think has the most character development? Marcus. I feel like Marcus is the one that has the most change. Because, I mean, like, in every, every rom-com, there's always, like, some sort of, like, change. And usually it's, like you mentioned, it's usually the girl. It's usually because, like, it's some sort of, like, thing happens where, like, she gets a makeover and suddenly she's, like, a nerdy girl to become super popular or something. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, Marcus is the one that I feel like has the most character development because he's gone from someone who, like, is very comfortable in himself, you know, his own little bubble of San Francisco Chinatown. Now he's growing up. He's challenging himself. He's putting himself in difficult situations so he can grow, getting his own place, trying to go to the other side of town for music gigs, moving to New York, all the other stuff. So, like, he's, he's definitely the one that's changed the most since the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I agree. I think we, we kind of alluded to it throughout that Marcus is the one that changes the most. So I'm, I'm glad that he is the one that changes. And like I mentioned, I like that Sasha is kind of portrayed as this very strong, independent, financially successful, doesn't need a man on her arm. But she says, like, what's wrong with having a supportive partner like that? I think that line in that fight, the favorite scene that I have, kind of just proves the point that she doesn't need Marcus, but she wants Marcus by her side. Yeah. Even, like, Ali LeFong's, like, real life. Her real life <laughs> husband is, like, kind of, like, Marcus in a sense. Because, like, she's, like, the breadwinner. Especially with her popularity. But, like, he's also super successful in his life. I mean, he's, like, Harvard Business School and everything else. So, you can definitely tell she's writing from experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question that I wrote down here. Sure. What are your thoughts on the term elevated Asian cuisine? Um, part of me wants it to be, like, a thing. But part of me hates it because I don't like to spend the money for it. Mm-hmm. I definitely wanted it to be a thing because, like, I do the same thing with my parents. We go out to eat. If we go to, like, an Asian restaurant and it's, like, you know, you realize every dish has, like, 17 ingredients in it. And then you go and get, like, a steak and it's, like, 50 bucks. And you're, like, damn. Like, literally, like, it takes a piece of meat, some heat, and, like, butter and that's $50. Mm. Versus you, like, get something at, like, some sort of Asian restaurant where, like, it's a lot of chopping, it's a lot of cleaning, a lot of washing, a lot of like, a lot more steps, but then it's cheap food. Mm. So, I mean, do I want elevated Asian cuisine to be a thing? I want it just because it's more popular, but I personally want to pay the prices. I feel like for me, the, the biggest example is in Chicago is Duck Duck Goat. Stephanie Izzard opened like a Chinese restaurant and like, it's basically elevated Asian cuisine where like, it takes Asian dishes, but she makes them fancier and then charges ridiculous prices for it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like something that's like a normal dish, like gansan yuhe, like kind of like a beef chow fun. Yeah, beef chow fun. Like she'll do that, but she uses like ribeye steak. Mm. It's like it's so unnecessary, but like it costs, you know, obviously way more. And people eat it up because it tastes great. But does it taste great because it's ribeye steak, or does it taste great just because the dish tastes great? So yeah, personally, for me, I hate it. But I want it to be popular because, I mean, Asian food is takes a lot of work. <laughs> mm. Have you been to DuckDuckGoat? Once. I felt really bad because um, my wife's best friend took us there for like an engagement dinner, like as a congratulations. And I feel like I basically just complained about the menu the whole time because I was like, oh. what the hell is this? Uh, so I felt like really guilty afterwards. But I mean, at the time I was like, wait, what? Like, it also just felt weird having like a non-Asian server like explaining like Asian dishes to us I was like dude 
I know this is, I mean, it's mm-hmm. thousands of times, but just not at this price point. Yeah, I feel like we could have a whole separate podcast about this one topic. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a hot topic, in my opinion, which is why I'm not, I was a little nervous to ask you this question. But yeah, like Marcus throws this word around a lot, you know, and bringing it back to the movie, he's like, I, he hates elevated Asian cuisine because he thinks Asian cuisine should be authentic cuisine. Yeah. And it's kind of like they're opposites. Like Asian cuisine cannot be elevated because if it's elevated, then it's not authentic. I, I, I'm kind of conflicted about this concept too, which to your point, I want it to be a thing because <laughs> I think Asian cuisine is amazing and it should have every right to be elevated. But at the same time... I don't maybe necessarily also either want to pay the price of elevated Asian cuisine. It's just a lot. I I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I'm glad that you also don't have such a clear cut opinion on this. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, it's kind of going off topic, but I know like David Chang has his whole Netflix special Mm. and like he kind of talks about how like, he's like, why can't Asian food be viewed like Italian food? Because like Italian food is known to be expensive and like, even though, like, yes, they use fresh ingredients, they use, like, the best ingredients, but, like, so do Asian food, and that's what makes it taste great. But they just have vastly different price points. Because even, like, yeah. you get, like, buttered noodles at, like, an Italian restaurant. It's, like, $25 at least. And then, like, you realize it's, like, literally just noodles and butter. Like, how is this worth that money? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, like, for sure, I feel like that's kind of evolution of Asian cuisine. Because especially now with a lot of Asian-American restaurants, it's going to be a lot more fusion. Sure. Um, it's not going to be like first generation immigrants who are like just trying to get by hole in the wall places. So it is going to be more expensive. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. And yeah, not to get totally off topic. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Asian American take on food is going to be different than like how our parents cook their food. Because yeah, it's going to be traditional if it came directly from there. Right, right. But I also do, you mentioned like David Chang and his argument about Italian food is deemed as fancy food. Why can't Asian food be equated to also like fancy food? But I do hear the term elevated Asian cuisine quite often, but I never hear like elevated American cuisine or elevated Italian cuisine because Italian cuisine is just Italian cuisine. Yeah. You kind of go in expecting to pay $25 for a plate of pasta. Yeah. But yeah, again, we can save that for an offline conversation, (laughs) but I was just curious. I have heard like contemporary American cuisine, which is usually just a fancy way of saying that burgers are like $30. There you go. Yeah, contemporary American. I'm like, okay. Like, I, don't, I see that. I'm like, all right, keep scrolling. Like, I'm looking at, like, <laughs> Yelp or something. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. We mentioned the music earlier. Do you have any other further thoughts of the music? I mean, I think the music works really well with just, like, the timing of it. Because, like, the beginning, they, they play some old school songs because it's meant to, like, you know, give you in that mindset of, like, that time of their lives, which is when those songs are popular. But, like, being people that are our age, like, those reflect the happy memories in terms of our childhood, usually, because those, that music was popular back then. And then also, I feel like the music that was playing, like, when they go up to Keanu's, like, hotel room was, like, indicative of what's going to happen. Because it was kind of like an angry, like, you know, <laughs> punk rock song. And then, like, of course, it goes, it comes to, like, a fight and, like, a punch. So I feel like it set the mood well. And so, I mean, I feel like overall, like, the music worked well with what I was trying to do. It helped elevate the scenes. Mm. Yeah, I just really, really appreciated the mention of D'Angelo. It's just <laughs> that song was such a moment in the 90s. Like, no one knows what the hell he's saying in that song, but it's just like a sexy song. So yeah. I just thought that that was very on the nose. Especially back then when that was like the, the height of music videos. and Oh my gosh, yes, that music video. 
like if you just say the word D'Angelo, that like <laughs> that music video just instantly pops in your head if you're like of a certain demographic age. And yep. so like the whole point where she's like muttering words, it's hilarious just because like, I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what he says. But I remember watching the music video as a kid and being like, damn. Yeah, damn, damn indeed. That does not look like me. <laughs> and then obviously I love that there's Hello Peril music on the soundtrack. It's just really fun that Randall Park got to rap a little bit. I mean, I punch Keanu Reeves when you actually listen to the whole song is <laughs> it's actually pretty hilarious because he makes fun of Keanu Reeves like role. He like, talks about like punching Neo and like yeah, other yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like he talks about kidding John Wick and stuff like that. So like it's it's pretty hilarious that the way he put it together, like it's like a much funnier version of your weird out. Mm. I definitely listened to that song after the movie because I was like, I want to hear the rest of it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what do you think um, in terms of if this movie is beloved and popular? Um, It only came out like a year ago. I don't know if it's yet hit the point of like being beloved because I feel like most movies that are beloved are usually because of like nostalgia or like, you know, you were at a certain point in your time. So like, right. It was a very impactful. Um, So I feel like it's kind of too early for that. So I feel like a lot of uh, movies that we like think of as like, in fact, for you from like our teenage years or childhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do I think it's going to be beloved? Hopefully. Like, I think kind of what you were saying earlier, like, this is kind of like the first more, I guess, regular rom com, not mm-hmm. some fantasy rom com of like crazy rich Asians, where like, I mean, still, Sasha Tran is very, very, very wealthy. Like, for her to rent that house in San Francisco <laughs> is it's not cheap. <laughs> yep. If we look back in Asian American history in like media, mm-hmm. this movie will be like one of the things mentioned often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think on the podcast we've talked a lot about older movies, and I think there's a lot of weight in nostalgia. And to your yeah. point that this movie just came out last year, there hasn't been room or time for that to build. I do think that it holds a special place in the Asian American community's heart. I think this was a really big moment. Not just Asian Americans are fans of Ali Wong. Like, everyone loves her. So I think that this crosses racial lines. Basically, I think, I hope this movie will be beloved. Yeah, I mean, like, to your point, Ali Wong has crossed over where, you know, when I was, like, telling coworkers, yeah, I'm going to watch Ali Wong this weekend. Like, people are not like, who? <laughs> They're all like, cool. Right. Like, sweet. Like, I love her specials or whatever. So, like, they know she's kind of successful. Mm, I think, yeah, I'm hopeful that this movie will be beloved. I do think it was really popular when it came out because I think it was just the first of its kind where it was two Asian American leads and Ali Wong and Randall Park both are pretty well known. So yeah, I think I hope that this movie has longevity. I think it's of the times. There's not a lot of things that didn't age well. There's room for this movie to grow, I think. And I mean, like, Netflix pushed it. So, like, if Netflix pushes anything, you're going to watch it, especially nowadays in the wake of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Um, I don't really have a lot of trivia to share of this movie. I couldn't find anything <laughs> super interesting. I think we talked a little bit about it throughout our conversation. I will say, though, that the inspiration behind this movie started from a New Yorker article in 2016, apparently, where Ali Wong mentioned that she had been writing a movie for a few years with Randall Park. And I think that article kind of like got some momentum. And I think the fans were like, let's make this happen. And it gained some steam. So that's kind of how I think this story came to fruition, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I had no idea about that. And also another fun fact is that the actress that plays Judy or Marcus's mom also plays a character on Fresh Off the Boat, which Randall Park stars in. She plays like his his wife's sister. (laughs) 
And then uh, another, it's like watching interviews about it. Like Ali Wong's kind of explaining her like choices. And she was like, so basically I write a movie where I get to make out with like hot Asian guys. So like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pick like Daniel Day Kim, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> like I'm going to pick everybody that's on my like wish list. And it's kind of hilarious just because like, yeah, I mean, Daniel Day Kim is like, she described him as like a super hunky Korean Eric from Little Mermaid. Yes. <laughs> like, like he's a statue of like perfection. So chiseled. Yeah. Like I actually love the part where he's like, He's a young 50, because I mean, he is really young 50, like he's old. But He's a young he's, 50, I love it. He's like, yeah, she does, he does like capoeira, like, stuff like that, <laughs> like it's, it's so true, because he is like a really young looking guy, I mean, he's 52 now, so like, wow. when he filmed it, he probably was like 50, so I mean, yeah, like he's very chiseled face. I also did read somewhere that um, when they were trying to figure out who would ultimately play the Keanu Reeves part, yeah, you know, like you said, that, that Venn diagram is very, very small, <laughs> as in it is probably just Keanu Reeves. Uh, Randall Park suggested Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti <laughs> is like a very serious, dramatic actor. Yeah. But Ali Wong stood firm. She's like, no, I want it to be an Asian American. Yeah. You know, we both know her comedy in, in the sense that she's very vocal about her love for Asian American men. Yeah, I, I really appreciated the fact that she stood firm and really tried to portray Asian American men in this really, really positive light and that they are desirable, that they are sexual, and, or not sexual, that they are sexy and that we should be wanting to be with Asian American men. Yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, it's previously always Asian American guys are like, you know, the least desirable nerdy guys. So Mm -hmm. it is cool to see them as like sex symbols. (laughs) Sex symbols, yeah. Chiseled Eric from Little Mermaid. Right. They're just objects of desire as opposed to just like some nerdy dude. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Do you have any last takes or last thoughts to add? You know, when I think back to this movie, like, it's so relatable to our lives. We've used that word a thousand times, but, like, <laughs> yeah. I think, like, that's why it, it's one of the only rom-coms I've watched more than once. Um, because I can put it on the background and, like, just watch scenes and be like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. As opposed to, like, you know, some other rom-com where it's, like, set in some fantasy world where, like, I don't relate to it. But it's just it's just nice to see, like, my life on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I mean, this is a a phrase that's been thrown around a lot, but like representation matters. And it's very clear that you really relate to it. I relate to it in in certain ways as well. But yeah, I think that's my last take also. It's just that we just simply need more Asian American leads in movies. And not like sci-fi movies or like fantasy movies. Like I want to see Asian Americans specifically in rom-coms because to me, Rom-coms, I think, are a genre that are most relatable in the sense that they're mostly about human emotions and human interaction. Whereas like a sci-fi movie, there's like some other kind of like outside force that affects the storyline, right? It's not really about humans talking to other humans in a way. So the fact that this is two Asian leads being like we've said again, very normal people. It's it really it really means a lot to me, and I hope that this is just the first of many to come. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this movie on Netflix, go stream it. What are you waiting for? Let's get those Netflix numbers higher so that they can make more rom coms with Asian American leads. That's my take. Most definitely. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely agree with you. You know, kind of what we we're saying earlier, we're like, there's a thousand Asian American stories out there, um, and this is just one of hopefully many to come. And so, like, do we relate to this one? Yeah, we do. But, you know, other people might not because they're younger or they're different socioeconomic backgrounds or whatever. 
Uh, so, I mean, there's definitely different flavors of being out there. So, yeah. you know, hopefully this is just the snowball effect of more and more representation. Yeah. Thanks so much for doing this with me, Ming. Yeah, this was super fun. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Come back anytime. I gotta watch more rom-coms now. <laughs> <laughs> to all tuning in, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Rom-Com Weekly. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you would rate this movie on a scale from 1 to 10. And we'll chat with you again next week. Bye.